So anyway, I'm writing down all these things, the good and the bad. Well, I get to do this, I get to do that. And I'm writing, and I really am stressing out over this decision. And I got to the one thing all of a sudden, I said, if I don't do this at the age of 23, I'll wonder my whole life what might have happened. Change is inedible. Like every, every success happens because you change something and, you, and you, it was a fear that was within you. Motivation only lasts for a short amount of time, but discipline is what carries you forward. I can't do this on my own, period. Are you looking at your business in terms of emotion or are you looking at your business in terms of what's practical? I still believe that America is the best country in the world. Where can kid of immigrants with no education become a physician? This is Small Business Celebration, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to another fantastic episode here on Small Business Celebration. And we're gonna be talking about negotiations, intellectual control, and a whole variety of things, including the Vision Year game. And our guest this week is Jim Shaw, the owner of JBS Productions. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. And for visionaries who don't know who you are, who are you and what is it that you do? Well, I'm Jim Shaw. My company is JBS Productions, which is just my initials. And uh, I've been doing jingles in, under that for 45 years now. Uh, a lot of things that uh, you probably, when you hear it, say, oh, that irritating thing. Yeah. <laughs> that earworm you can't yeah, get right. out of your head? He's the guy that did it. <laughs> I can just imagine all the hate mail that's now going to start coming in. Yeah, going. oh yeah. <laughs> for, and give us some examples for those who are new to Bakersfield, new to Kern County, and not that familiar. Give us some examples of the jingles you've written. Well, for the people that live here, they'll probably remember, uh, in by 11, ready at 4, today cleaners. Right, right. Uh, we fix your feet. We fix your feet. It's the only thing we do at Stockfield Podiatry Group. <laughs> yeah. And, and how many jingles have you written? Uh, I think around 450. And that's local, regional, and some national. Really? Yeah. That's a lot of it jingles. Is. But it's spread over decades. Right. How many decades? Four and a half. Four and a half decades. So that's so. Uh, I have to take my shoes off. 450 divided by Yeah, right, right. It's about it's about 100 per decade, so I'm averaging 10 a year. You got your start not here in Bakersfield, but you were born in Fresno? I was raised in Fresno. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I had a, a band there. This was nothing to do with jingles. Right. But I had my own band there in a TV show. and uh, A local I, access I, TV I, show? Yes. I was, uh, I was doing, it's called Live at the Nashville West. What I thought I could do on this TV show uh -huh. was to sell an album. I could come, I could record an album and sell them off the TV right. and get another revenue stream. Right. And so I heard that Buck Owens in Bakersfield, California, 100 miles to the south, right. had a brand new state-of-the-art recording studio. Right, right. And I thought, well, this sounds good. <clears throat> so I took off down there to take a look at it, get the brochures, the rates, and figure it out. So that was in... Uh, early 1970. Okay. And so I popped down there and uh, the day I got there, it was a little awkward because Buck was recording in the studio with the Buckaroos. So, but I was out there with the, uh, the, the receptionist getting the brochures, et cetera, et cetera, not knowing that inside there was drama because he had hired a piano player that he had never tried before oh. to play on the session and it wasn't working. Oh no. They'd get halfway through the song and he'd make a mistake and they're doing it over and over and and, and uh, he's getting a little bit pushed out of shape. Right. Somebody said, you know, there's a piano player from Fresno out front. 
So like a bad B movie, right? <laughs> sure, right. So, so Buck comes banging through the front door out into the reception area, and I'm thinking, holy cow. He was like Garth Brooks at the time. He right, was, sure. He was he a is. big right. star. And uh, uh, he said, you're a piano player. And I said, yes. And he says, can you play that song? Well, I didn't know what song he's talking about. He, they're, they're two rooms in, soundproof, right? Right. I don't know what they're doing. But so what do you say? I said, yeah. Right. You got the biggest star in the world barreling down on you, asking if you can play the song you've never heard of. What are you going to say? So, <laughs> yes. So we go in there, and I see that uh, the uh, piano player is standing sheepishly off to the side, and he takes me over to the piano and says, do you, do you need to hear it once? Do you need to run it down once? And I uh, I didn't bother to tell him. I have never heard it. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. The answer is always yes. So it, it, the song was called New Orleans, Cajun Queens, Mississippi River Boats. And it was a little complicated little chord progression. Circle of fists. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm thinking, okay, I see the pattern. I see what we're doing here. No problem. We're in the key of G. Da, da, da. Okay. And then in the middle, it modulated to A flat. Oh, which wow. is like, Ugh. Yeah. Oh. Uh oh, now, you know. And that's where the previous <clears throat> piano player was probably fell apart. The yeah, fell apart right, every right. time right there. Right. So, but I kind of figured out the formula. And somehow he said, Are You ready to do it? And I said, Sure. And I got through it somehow. It didn't make any mistakes. So uh, uh, he said, Can you stay for the rest of the session? And I said, Sure. So after the session, I did three more songs. And then he said, Can you come on down and do more sessions? And I was going to Fresno State College at the time and, and taking classes there. Right. And uh, as well as playing six nights a week and, and my TV show and, and all that stuff. But uh, So let me get this straight. You were going to Fresno State. You had your TV show. You had your your band that you were doing. Six nights a week. Six nights a week. And then you then then Buck and then you're coming down here. And how many sessions a week were you working for? About three, three, three hour sessions plus the the two hour drive each way. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day when you were you were young and full of energy, mm. and you could do all this. Well, and I uh, at that point I started missing a lot of school, uh, and yeah. a lot of Something guilt. Something had to give. A lot of guilt started kicking in then right. because I knew I always was smart enough to know that uh, I didn't want to be a professional musician, flaky kind of Quote, a guy. Because musicians are like gunfighters. <laughs> When they're 35 <laughs> years, the young new guys are trying to pick them off, right. you know, and they are not. You're getting older, and they know all the new songs, and the girls like them better, and, right. you know. And I'm thinking, by the time you're 50 years old, you're, you know, you're you're having a rough time, you know, paying the bills. Right. So I knew that I need to get my college degree, and here I am coming down here doing flaky music stuff. Right. And it'll never and, pan and miss, out. And, It'll and, never and, work. <laughs> I thought, you know, I had, you know, I want to do this, right. and so I, I'd come down and do the recording sessions. And these are records that were going on national radio, right? Yeah, pretty cool, right? So I uh, uh, continued doing that and uh, hadn't dealt with uh, the, the college issue, and then until Buck offered me the Buckaroo job, then it, mm. then all of a sudden, whoa! And now I got to make a decision. And the Buckaroos, that was Buck's backup band. We were the number one band, country band in the United States. Uh, according to the, the awards shows. Wow. Number one band, and here I am stumbling into it. So the biggest country star in the world asks you to become a member of his band. Mm -hmm. From there, as a member of the Buckaroos, your career with the whole organization began to grow and develop. Yeah. And you guys started traveling and you started doing TV shows? Oh, we, we traveled from the get-go. The, the first... The first week I started, I started June 1st, 1970, 
that first weekend we flew back to New York and did the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. <laughs> Your yeah. first Ed gig so, on TV is the, the Ed Sullivan the show, the number one show in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, <laughs> no yeah. pressure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely we were flying high. And it was, right. it was very fun. And we flew everywhere, by the way. We didn't have a bus, right. so just a lot of airplanes. At what point did Hee Haw come around? Because he was, he was already doing Hee Haw. Oh, he, okay. Hee Haw started, it was this 1969 summer replacement for the Smother Brothers show. Okay. And then it got its own slot. So I only missed the first half season of Hee Haw, and then I came in on the second half. So I was on... I was on 17 years of Hee Haw, which was uh, uh, 26 shows a year that we recorded in Nashville. Out of all of this, how did you get into writing jingles? I got into, in the next couple of years, I got more and more into helping Buck with the record production. Right. I had to hang around there at the studio, and he'd, <clears throat> he got trusting me in that I, he was teaching me what, how he liked to produce records. And he, he had a very commercial ear, and I was right. learning from that. And, when we got the main track done, he might say to me, hey, Jim, I'll put the acoustic guitars on. You know what I want. And right. he'd leave the room and go back into his office. And so next thing you know, before, maybe within a year, I'm, I'm co-producing these records. And then he started handing me off uh, various other acts we had, like Susan Ray, uh, his son, Buddy Allen, Tony Booth. Right. And I started producing these people myself. Susan Ray was a very well-known country singer at that time, local, traveled right. with us, right. and had a couple big hits, L.A. International Airport, and some really big records. And uh, a local car dealer came to her and said, we'd like you to do a jingle. Uh, it's going to be up, the, the production company's up in Fresno, nobody does that in Bakersfield, right. and we want you to go up there and do this jingle, and it was, paid her well, I think they gave her a free car. And Even so, so she was insecure about that, and she was used to me being in the studio and helping her with her, the vocals and things. So I, uh, she said, would you, would you go with me to Fresno and hang out with me on this thing and, and help me? And I said, sure, because I was curious about the whole deal. Right. So I go in there, and it's, it's pretty neat, you know. Bell Rye, Toyota, da, da, ah, yeah. So anyway, well, sure, right. so, so uh, I'm thinking, well, this is, I didn't ever stop to think about this. You know, you're, you're writing songs and producing music. Right. But uh, uh, when I was writing songs, I'm, uh, I'm hoping somebody records it. And if they do it six months or two years later, right. jingles are instant gratification. You know, you do it. It's on the air the next week. Totally. And you're driving around your car. You turn on the radio and go, hey, that's my thing. Oh, what? after a few years, I got where I'd look for doubles and triples and quadruples in a, in a row. <laughs> you know? That's two or three of jingles yeah. back to back. My, my jingle back to back. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I just got a triple. <laughs> so I got back and started pondering that and uh, went out and found a, a couple clients. And I figured that the... I did a, a local airline and, and a mobile home park and started doing my own and coming up uh, with a, a bunch of various style musicians to right. do the various styles. It wasn't all country. Right. It was pop or whatever. It was fun. It was enjoyable because I'm doing in different styles. I love to write. The kind of stuff I wrote was very commercial. Right. And so this worked out just fine. It's all about selling. Right. I mean, to me, uh, I'm in, in, when I'm writing a jingle, I'm, I'm selling the business. Right. I'm trying to come up with this hook and this thing to, when people uh, put together a radio or a TV spot, a, a business owner does, mm -hmm. and they get out there and uh, they say it's a radio spot and it's got the talking head on it, you know, hey, come on down, da 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 They get the thing on the radio a bunch of times and 
someone says, hey, they, they say, hey, did you hear my spot on the radio? And I say, well, I don't know if I did or not. Well, they're not, people aren't really always paying attention. Right. So uh, my thought was the jingle doesn't make your head spin around and say, oh, listen to that. But it, if that happens, that's gravy. That's a bonus. Right. But in the background, this little song, you know, we treat your feet. We, it's it, right. carving that little hook. The right. hook, the hook, the hook. Right. One day, they don't need someone... I told the, the podiatrist that, the jingle. I said, when, when you're telling them that you are a podiatrist and you can help their feet, most people are saying, oh, that's fine, okay, whatever, because their feet don't hurt. Right, but when I, they I do. Want, I want them to jump out of bed and go, ow, who are those people that treat feet? And Brilliant. so uh, you might have noticed a little confusion there, by the way. I said fix at first. The, the original jingle was, we fix your feet. It's um, the only thing we do at Stockdale Pedrive. We fix your feet. Right. The, all the uh, podiatrists went to the board, the oh. medical board, and sued and said he ceased and desist because they hated he was advertising and it was working. <laughs> so he says, they, I have to take it off because I can't promise to fix your feet. Right. Sometimes you can't. Right. And I said, well, let me think about this. And you changed And it so too. we went back and I got the singers and we treat your feet. Right. And he said, well, well won't everybody notice? And I said, I don't think so. Because the music is still the, the music's same. The music's the same. The melody's the same. Right. It just went from fixed, to, which was, a, you know, alliteration to a rhyme. Right. Treat feet. So, I mean, it, it was smooth and it worked. And, and sometimes uh, the second time around's better than the first. And then he opened branches here, Las Vegas, up north. I, I did six or eight different versions of that right. for all of his cities. And and that's, that's what you're, you're trying to do. You're trying to get that kind of a thing that people joke about that, Oh, I got things stuck into my head. But when it comes on, you know, uh, and of course, put that in the yellow pages, right? right? Back when there was a yellow page. Right, right. But put it on your website, whatever. Okay. Oh, the, there's that line. Okay, it's them. We, I know right. them. I know right. who that is. Right. I recognize him. So to me, I always thought a jingle, if it didn't make your advertising dollar go 20%, 30% further, right. uh, that was conservative. And that brings us to our first Visioneer question, which is brought to you by Mike Saba, a Zillow premier agent with Watson Realty, born and raised and never left Bakersfield. Give Mike Saba a call at 661-203-8406 or reach him at MikeSaba1 at iCloud.com today. Our Visioneer question comes from Christine who asks, we've been trying to teach the art of negotiation to our sales team. What negotiating techniques have you found that works most effectively and how do you teach them from others? Because this is incredibly apropos for you, because it's one thing to write the song. It's another thing to be the publisher and negotiate the rights to it. It's interesting that only a small part of that is negotiating. Okay. Uh, when if, if, if somebody wants to record somebody else's song and do a cover version of it, right. you don't have to negotiate, no, negotiate it. It's, it's a... Uh, uh, it's called the statutory rate. Mm. It used to be, nine, for decades, it was 9.2 cents per unit sold, mm -hmm. and it just went to 12 cents per unit sold. Inflation. So, yeah. <laughs> they finally got around to raising it a bit. But all they have to do is go ahead and, and get the uh, mechanical license. Go right. says, I want to record this thing, and I'm going to pay for uh, uh, 2,000 units. I'm going to hope, right. you know. And it, so that song is uh, 12 cents times... 2,000 units, I guess, what is that, uh, $60, $60, isn't it? Right, right, I don't know. right, <laughs> right, not very yeah, much. 
I can't do math under pressure. So, <laughs> so, so, so uh, turn off the lights. <laughs> the negotiation and the fun part is music in synch synchronization licenses. It's oh, called. Okay. When you synchronize music to video, oh. and I do that for Buck Owens and his music and his masters, right? Because every time I, I've done, you know, he he's got a song and remember the Titans and. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari and, right. and Billy Hellbilly's the movie and all these different things and television shows. Right. And and so they come and they say, uh, you know, we want to use this song and you know how much to, to use it. The use will be one and a half minutes. Da da da. Will it be in the credits? No, it's in the scene where this is happening. And uh, generally, I'm working with most favored nations with publisher hmm. because what's most favored nations? Uh, basically. It's called MFN. It's if they give, a, say, you can have that song for $30,000. Oh, okay. And Sony comes back and says, we want $35,000. They have to come back and say, it's most favored nations. Uh, they got thirty-five, so we have to give you thirty-five. dollars oh, Okay, right, nice. So I always say MFN with publisher. Got it. I like to do that because Sony is, are, is experts at this. They have right. a whole staff that right. only work on TV and they know the budgets. They right. know what's going on. They right. know what the, the the what the market will bear on this. Right. And so when you're negotiating with them, what's your approach? One thing I like. It's called the flinch method. Okay. It's kind of hard to. I'm going to describe it. Say I was using okay. it for a jingle. Right. Because I don't use it for a jingle, but but say I did. Right. Okay. The the guy, the business owner, he doesn't have a clue. Well, a jingle is probably about five hundred dollars. Oh, it's about ten thousand dollars. He doesn't have a clue, right? And I don't. I'm. I'm not sure if I want to pop a price out there because I kind of like to know what, what kind had. of budget it have. But right. anybody negotiating, you want to know what their budget is. Right. What right. are the expectations? So, so you kind of go out there in the middle and you say, oh, that's going to be. Uh, that's going to be uh, four thousand dollars. Ooh, 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 four thousand uh, dollars. Oh, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, I'll tell you what. I was going to use the Mormon Tabernacle Choir on it, but I guess I could probably just use some regular jingle singers and probably do it for $2,500. Or they can say, oh, that's not too bad. Right. And I say, yeah, uh, how would you like that in stereo? <laughs> so, uh, okay. you know, that's, it's, it's a fun tool, and uh, I think I'm using it a lot. And, when I'm having conversations with somebody and I and they I have no idea what this movie, what kind of a music budget. A big movie might have a million and a half, two million dollars to spend on music. Right. And the little guys don't. And right. then, and then the, there's the guys that come and they just want what's called a festival license. What's that? that that's where they uh, they don't have any money, but they're gonna finish the thing, take it to these festivals and see if they can get a backer. Mm. And so I give them an agreement that I'm not going to charge them now or I'm going to charge them 50 bucks or whatever, but we got that if they get a deal, we're going to come back and we're going to negotiate a fair market value at that time. And now it's time for the Visioneer game. Now, Visioneers, if you've never experienced this on our show before, this is the way that it works. I have a random word generator here on my phone. I have no idea what the word is that it generates. And I have to take this word and give it to Jim, our guest. And Jim has to take this word and somehow associate it with his business. Are you ready? We'll see. Okay. Our first word is rumor. 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 That's interesting. Uh, I, I think I could 
definitely associate that to jingles because okay. what you really want to do is you want to get a buzz. Ah. You want to get a buzz going, which is probably what a rumor is really good at, right? Sure. And so now, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have to ponder that. Maybe there's some way to, you know, to incorporate that into a jingle. There you go. Yeah. Lava, well done. First one, yeah, first one. Okay, we're good. We got, we're on our first one. Okay. Our second one is fish. <laughs> And no, you can't talk about the fish tank behind you. No, it's uh, well, I, I love the old thing, you know, I, you know, feed you know feed a man a fish and or teach a man to fish. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a I've never done a fish jingle. Well, there's a there's a throw out. If anybody out there has got a business that that sells fish, mm -hmm. Jim's your guy. I'm your guy. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry I can't help you on the fish one. Oh, I think you answered it just nicely. Okay, okay. And the last word is qualify. Qualify, okay. I, that's not anything to do with my business. I, uh, nobody's uh, signing up for a loan or anything like that kind of qualifying. <laughs> and, but uh, yeah, I, do, uh, I do think that's interesting that a lot of times if somebody wants a jingle, in a sense, I'll be qualifying them in that I see what they're doing. I see what their budget is. They're doing a little bit, and they're spending a four or five hundred dollars a year on this, and a few hundred dollars around that, and everything. And I say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to eat up your budget for about four or five years. And I think <laughs> just just take that money and go and keep doing what you're doing. Right. You don't. Uh, I'm, I'm, you're not ready to get a jingle yet. You know, when you when you get up in a different a different level, then we're ready. Then we then we, then we can start growing you. You've qualified the customer. Yeah, in a sense. Uh, that happens sometimes. Sure. Well, congratulations. You got all three right. Well done, okay, you. Okay. Good for you. <laughs> well, and part of that qualification process is when you come in and, and you hire another employee that comes in because the, the organization has many, many employees. And, and yet at some time, at some point, you have to do like what Buck did with you and say it's okay to do other things. Because Buck gave you the opportunity to open your own business and do other interests outside of what he was employing you to do, did he not? This was a strictly a Buck personal thing. Oh. This company was this company was all Buck. Yeah. I mean, it you know it, it was definitely a private company, right. and it's personality driven, and it's Buck Owens. His sister helped him, his nephew helped him, his sons were in the business, right. but it was Buck. Right. And so that's, Buck was very creative, liked to do everything. When I was started with him, we had our own, uh, uh, it's called Celebrity Travel. We had our right. own travel agency that did the bookings. We had our own graphics company. Right. So he, he, he'd, he'd do something, he'd, he'd open a business and stuff. Right. And he was just like, so he was all over that. He, he had a, a shopper magazine and later on camera ads, you know, and right. we had printing presses over on the other side of the freeway there. So he got into all sorts of stuff and he always called it, you know, okay, Jim, um, you got, going to get another hat to wear. <laughs> Congratulations. You know, I, I just bought a TV station. Now you're going to have to, you know, and, and you need to go over there and, and see who we need to keep and who we need to get, you know, learn right. what's going on over there. Right. And uh, so it was very stimulated. And he very often said to me, he says, you know, how, how lucky are we? We get just to do all sorts of different variety of things. Nothing, nothing's ever boring. And, right. And uh, yeah, and, some, and I said to myself, yeah, and sometimes it's terrifying. <laughs> but, but I didn't. But but so that was his personality. So when I'm out there doing my other thing, investing in another business, or doing the jingle thing, or the real estate stuff, or the various things that I did outside 
He had no problem with that as long as I did my job. Mm. And I, you know, I'm one of those guys that learned a long time ago, and I, would, I told my kids, you know, you just come five minutes early and stay later than everybody else right. and d get the job done, you know, just get it done. Just out of curiosity, what was your degree in at Fresno? <laughs> Industrial technology, a form of engineering. Okay, all right. And uh, my dad was a contractor, and I didn't want to go into the business with him, but I thought, that's kind of neat. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. When you were traveling back and forth, did you ever complete your degree? I dropped out with 96 units. See, when, when he said, you're going to join the Buckaroos, would you like? Uh, I had to move to Bakersfield. Right. And uh, it's like, oh. It was so funny. He, he invites me down to have a meeting with him. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was possibly something important. Right. It's not a session. I want to talk. Right. So he and Don Rich, the band leader, uh, met me in the, in the control room. I had worn a suit. I put a suit on and a tie. And later on, I kind of wondered, you know, uh, at, at, at one point, I think it, it might have been like, what's this guy doing? Turns out he really liked that. He was always like his salespeople. To, he said, you got to dress like money. Right. So it turned out to be a good move. Perfect. <laughs> because that, that means I'm not just your average musician, right? Right. But anyway, he told me, here's what the deal is. Here's your, your salary. Here's the insurance. Here's your, the perks. Here's what the, you get your, all your recording sessions. You get your TV shows paid as. He listed it all down, what you're going to get. He owned me for 150 concerts a year on right. that salary. Right. And doing the ranch show and a few things and laid it all out. And then he finally said, now, he says, I want you to, uh, I don't want you to decide now. I want you just to go ahead, think about this, and come back and see if you want the job. And it's funny, later on, I became very close to Buck, and I knew him very well. Right. And I realized that my, the correct answer was, I don't need to, I don't need to think about anything. Right. Thank you, but I'll take it. Right. But I said, okay, I'll think about it. <laughs> he probably went, huh? But, but I went home and got the old legal pad with a line down the middle. Right. I'm dropping out of college. I'm going to be a flaky musician. I'm dropping out. So anyway, I'm writing down all these things, the good and the bad. Well, I get to do this. I get to do that. And I'm writing, and I really am stressing out over this decision. And I got to the one thing all of a sudden. I said, if I don't do this at the age of 23, I'll wonder my whole life what might have happened. And I thought, there, there it is right there. Because of that, I have to do it. And, and I didn't know I was going to be here my whole life. That was 53 years ago. And I didn't know I was going to wear a whole bunch of other hats and go on this journey and, and do all these neat things. And, uh, and it was never going to end. And that brings us to our second Visioneer question, which is brought to you by Mike Sabo, a Zillow premier agent with Watson Realty, selling Bakersfield homes since 1992. Give Mike Sabo a call at 661-203-8406 or reach him at MikeSabo1 at iCloud.com today. And I'm loving this Visioneer question because where this is going to go is absolutely a lot of fun. Visioneer Brian asks, maintaining control of what is intellectually yours goes beyond a patent or copyright. How do you keep an eye on what's legally yours without spending a fortune on attorneys to do it for you? Well, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, if you do everything correctly, you, you get your copyrights, you, you dot all your I's and cross your T's, you know, you, you're, you're not going to have that issue. But if someone wants to steal something 
you know, you might end up with an attorney. It, it depends, you know, very often uh, what, how valuable this copyright is and how, what kind of money we're talking about. And I, I can't think of any issues I've ever had where it was a serious problem that, that wasn't quick, in a quickly solved that somebody claimed that they owned this song. And I said, no, here's a copy of the copyright. End of story. Right. Send it off to BMI or whatever. And, and uh, uh, these, these outfits, uh, like BMI and ASCAP, for, for performance royalties, and Harry Fox Agency and people for mechanical royalties, they, they've been around for 100 years. and Not, not 100, but 60, 80, some of right. them. Right. And uh, they have staffs of attorneys that understand all this stuff, and they've seen it all. And generally, you know, they'll sort it out for you. Right, right. And the reason I like this question is because what you're doing here with the organization is preserving the Crystal Palace. Uh, that's one of the end results. We, uh, <clears throat> when, before Buck passed away, he set up that there was going to be the Buck Owens Private Foundation. Right. The radio stations are not in it. Mm. Basically, what's in it is all of Buck's intellectual property. The ownership of his masters, his publishing, his songwriting royalties, all of that are in there. We also own the Crystal Palace. Mm. So basically, you know, we can, we can help out when necessary to you know, subsidize situations in a, in a tight month like or COVID. Right. Luckily, luckily, we got some grant money during COVID or, or we would have been gone. Right, right. We would have been gone. And a big part of this is there's two aspects of a song. The one, the royalties that go to the person who wrote it, and then the, the money that goes to the publisher. It's a 50-50 partnership. Which part does the foundation currently own, and what's the other part the foundation's trying to... Yes, it's, it's called termination of transfer. Okay. And it's something that they came out with, I think, in 1973 from the, the new copyright law. They allowed people to get... Uh, after either 35 years or 55 years, depending on when the song was written, mm -hmm. they could come back and go, jump through a bunch of hoops, send a registered letter, do this, do that, and everything, right. and say, I want my songs back. Mm. And the timing of this is, has just recently become amazingly critical because mm. all of a sudden we hit, the last couple of years, the Beach Boys, mm. the Beatles. Right. We're talking about the 60s. We're talking about publishing companies that had amazing copyrights. Right. And all of a sudden, the writers, or the writers' heirs, right. say, okay, we want these back. I, I, do have to, I do have to say, you get back the domestic royalties, not the foreign. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just domestic. Okay. So you're still partnering with the pu publishing company on those things. So right. it gets a little complex. Right. But, but yeah, you, you're getting that, that portion of the revenue will go to you now instead of the and so that revenue that you're working on right now is designed to come back into the foundation to keep funding the Crystal Palace so that the Crystal Palace mm -hmm. can stick around. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. pretty amazing work. The Crystal Palace was interesting because we talked about it for many, many years before we finally... We had a false start a few years before we built it, came up with plans that really weren't suitable at all. We couldn't figure out how to com combine a restaurant and a venue and a museum all into one space. Right. It sounds it sounds like what's so hard about that? It doesn't look that complicated. But before that, if you went to the Hard Rock Cafe, the show was in another door off to the side. Right. In the showroom, or or the uh, House of Blues, it was all it wasn't folded in like this. And so we had to come up with a look. Thus, the Knott's Berry Farm 
kind of a look with all the facades and things with the, the windows inside where the memorabilia they live. And this, this was all came from myself and Terry Christofferson, who was the guitar player, a steel player right. at, at that time with the Buckaroos. Buck was always about promoting from within. Right. He always wanted his own people that weren't experts because <clears throat> he trusted them. Right. And they figured they'll learn. So he, in 1994, he said, okay, Jerry, uh, Terry and Jim, we want, I want you to, to watch over the architect and the builder and get this thing built. And so we lived it for two years. For two years, we were over there every day, you know, putting out fires and all the different things that, you know, would go wrong, of course. And Buck helped enough to, to slow it down because he, <laughs> because of him, we had 138 change orders. <laughs> Jeez, because he kept, he kept going expensive. over there and, and saying, "Well, that's great, but it should have been bigger and it should have been over there." Right. And so it was it was a uh, challenging, but but you know it it was it was our baby, our baby, and and uh, I I've my wife lo loves this story, but on opening night, Buck got us all brand new couples brand new uh, Buckaroo suits. We were all dolled up and. We had special guest stars, Dwight Yoakam and uh, Marty Stewart, all these different people coming in for our grand opening. And we did two. After the first show, I go into the bathroom, and it's just a mess. There's paper <laughs> towels all over the floor. There's water all over the There's just a big mess of stuff. And I thought, oh, this is my bathroom. Oh, you know, right? Right. So I'm, there's nobody in there except one old guy, one old coot over there at the urinal down at the end. Right. Looked like he'd had a little bit too much to drink. And he's over there, and I'm gathering up the paper towels, and I'm stuffing them in the wastebasket, and I'm grabbing some paper towels, and I'm wiping the mirrors, and I'm wiping off the counters, and I'm doing all this stuff in my buckaroo suit, right? Right. And I got all done about the time he start, he's walking out, and he turns around and looks at me with a sneer on his face and says, and I thought you guys were famous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it's better to be famous than infamous, I suppose. But, but you have to understand is that was that what I did there was exactly what Buck would have wanted me to do and knew I would do. Right. And the people who work for him. I mean, if you if you're walking through the parking lot and you see a paper cup over there, you go out of your way and you pick it up and you go to it and you put it in the trash when you come into this building. Right. And I tell you, one time I, I went and picked up a little trash on the way back. He was in the office looking out the window, and he, he came in, and this was about 30 years ago, handed me $500. He said, I really appreciate you, and handed me $500 for picking up trash. <laughs> but he, he was like that. Right. Among the songs that you've written, you wrote a song for a Netflix movie. No, I published a song for a okay. Netflix movie. Okay. It was... Uh, I, 25 years ago, there was a, a, a guy in the music business on a publishing company and owed me a bunch of money. I did a bunch of production work, and he felt guilty about it. <laughs> good good guy, good friend. Right. And he says, I'm going to give you this song, to publish it on this song, called The Goo Goo Muck. And I'm thinking... <laughs> My wife and loves I, and, that and song. I, and I, right, and I'm thinking, okay, Magic Beans, right? Right, and sure. So anyway, I Little said, oh, okay. You know. So anyway, it had been recorded by the Cramps, and 50 or $100 a year came in on it. And he said, right. eventually... In, 20, 30 years, you'll get your money back, I owe you. Right. I said, okay, you don't have to do this, but fine. And then he passed away. I guess it was about a year and a half ago. There was a new show called Wednesday. Right. Uh, Jenna Ortega on Netflix. And on the, I think, fourth episode, 
she uh, goes to a, a prom or a dance. Everybody's dre dressed in black and white, and she does this crazy right, dance. And right. they, uh, the director Tim Burton, had uh, got in touch with me and wanted to license the song by the Cramps, right. the Goo Goo Muck. Right. And so uh, I did, and it was a substantial amount of money. Right. And uh, and I thought that's cool. That's a one shot deal. Right. And uh, but then it went viral, and uh, I've done not like uh, I've done. Uh, there's a Hallmark Christmas tree ornament and plush toys and 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 it just keeps on giving. And I had and I had did, I had to jump through all sorts of hoops to find the heirs of the writers. It took me forever, and I finally got them all, got it all sorted out, because I'd accumulated you know several hundred dollars, but no feeling of urgency. I figured some someday I'll figure this out right. and you know get the money to them. Right. And uh, but then all of a sudden you know I needed to find them. So I, those magic beans actually yeah, grew. I know. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, Jim, this has been a real privilege. Thank you for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. And if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, well, uh, Jim Shaw, I don't have a website, but uh, my cell is 661-599-5781. Email? And jshaw at buckowens.com. Wonderful. Well, J-S-H-A-W. So that's an easy one. There it is. It's all mm. perfectly easy. Well, and if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, notify, and leave a comment. Say something wonderful about Jim and Crystal Palace <laughs> and Bach Owens. And we'll be right back with our final thought. Visioneers, yes, we have a blog. Yes, yes, we finally entered the 19th century or I guess it's the 20th century now. So check it out at smallbusinesscelebration.com forward slash blog and get more insights, more ideas, more thoughts about the show that doesn't appear on the show at smallbusinesscelebration.com forward slash blog today. The rule of thirds. The other day I was talking with a visionary friend of mine and he looked at me and he said, Michael, you look a little tired. And I admitted to him that not only was I tired, I was exhausted and actually kind of depressed at the same time. And at that point, I just started unloading him. I started whining and complaining and venting. And by the time I got done, I looked at him and I noticed that he had a rather sheepish wry grin on his face. And I knew what was coming because he's one of these guys He's going to give you advice whether you want it or not. And all I wanted to do was vent and complain. So I steeled myself and he smiled and he said, Michael, it's the rule of thirds. And I asked him, rule of thirds? He said, yeah, in business as in life, about a third of your time, you're going to be tired, exhausted, and depressed. And this is perfectly normal. But the thing that's going to be great about this is you know at some point you're going to be high and ecstatic and over the moon and everything is going to be absolutely wonderful. He said, but try not to stay too long in that spot because inevitably if you do, you're going to come crashing down and you want to move as quickly as you can into the third phase, which is everything is just floating along. Everything is just hunky-dory. Everything is just as it should be. 
But this is the most dangerous place of all. Because if you spend too much time there, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're dying. It's known as the rule of thirds. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jim Shaw, and I hope you learned something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. And we'll see you here again next week when we celebrate another small business making a big breakthrough. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.